All right. This has been another wonderful week that the Lord has blessed us with in the body of Christ. I pray has grown in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Last week we're in chapter 2 of 2 Peter. And we finished that up as promised. And this week we begin chapter 3. If you'd like to open your Bibles and follow along, we'll be in 2 Peter chapter 3. Now this chapter is the final chapter of Peter's last epistle. This is his last thoughts. His last words to the sheep that the Lord turned over to his care and commanded him to feed and to watch over. And he has given encouragement so far. He has given guidance and he has given warning. And now as he closes his letter, he writes with a loving heart. Yes, the heart of a shepherd. And he does so with very vivid imagery of why he is so necessarily pointing to you to add these things to your life and to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ because something tremendous is about to happen. And he starts chapter 3, verse 1, with this word, Beloved. Beloved. And it means to be loved above all others. It's a special phrase of loving closeness. You know, God Himself used this words whenever He talked about His only begotten Son in Matthew chapter 3. When Jesus was baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness in the Jordan River, and He came up out of that water, and it says that the Spirit descended like a dove and landed upon him and the heavens opened up and God spoke and he said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased hear ye him so this term beloved isn't something to be taken lightly it's it's a shepherd who loves his sheep so much that he's willing to tell them everything necessary and do whatever it takes to get them saved in Christ. And then he says this. This is the second letter that I have written to you. In which I am trying to stir you up. Now I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago. When we started this great epistle of Second Peter. But in chapter 1 and verse 13. He used that same word when he said. I am not long for this world. I'm soon going to put off this tent of a body that I have. But as long as I am in this tabernacle, Peter said, I think that it is proper for me to stir you up into the remembrance of all of those things. And to stir up means to wake completely up from sleep, from not paying attention, from daydreaming. Wake up and get moving on what you're supposed to be doing. And he said, I want to stir up your pure minds. Minds that have been held up in the light of God's Word and made pure and purged of all of those things that are unpure. You've removed them from your thought process so that only the good things remain inside of you. And I want to have you to remember something. This is of first importance, y'all. Recall to mind the words that was written by the holy prophets of God and by us apostles. For we spoke, and what you hear is not of our own accord, but it is what the Lord and the Savior commanded us to tell you. 
And know this first, beloved. Now this is utmost importance. There are going to be in the last days scoffers. And I want to clear up something right now for you. We are in the last days, folks. The last days, there is nothing holding back the return of the Lord. There is no prophecy. There is no event. There is no scripture that needs to be fulfilled or that is standing in the way of the Lord's return for His bride, the church. And in these last days, there are going to be scoffers. And Peter is so adamant that in the original language it sounds like this. In the last days, there will be scoffers scoffing. Mocking, the word is used twice back to back. They mock the truth. By implication, it means a false teacher. And, surprisingly enough, now listen to this. It means a false Christian. Because if you are not walking properly in the way, then you are really a mocker of the word of God and the truth. So it's saying... You know, this word scoffers was used of those when Jesus hung upon the cross. And as he was up there, there was those who were mocking and scoffing. And they shook their heads and they wagged their tongues. And they said, he says he saved others, but he can't even save himself. If you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, show us and prove it to us so that we will believe and get down off of that cross. Jesus stayed upon that cross even though he knew that he was God's son and the Messiah. But the scoffers were there wagging their tongues at him. And Jesus said, said this, they know not what they do, Father. And Peter tells us it's never going to quit. There's going to be scoffers all the way through the last days, false teachers, False believers, they will want to walk in their own ways after their own lusts and desires. In verse 3 it says, They will mock even the warning that you and I will try to give them from the truth of the Word of God. As you try to save their souls from the eternal fires of hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels, it says that they will continue to mock and they will say something like this. They, as you save their souls, they are wandering in the ways and they need to renew the result of their wandering. They won't listen, but First John says this, chapter 2 and verse 15 of you and I. It says, do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. For all that is in this world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These things are not of the Father. They are not from Him, but of the world. And this world is passing away, and the lusts thereof. But He who does the will of God abides forever. And then John says this, little children, it is the last hour. You know, there are folks saying that we're not even in the last days, but the apostle who was the beloved that laid his head upon the breast of our Lord on that last supper day, he said this. He takes it one step further. This is the last hour that we are in. And it's time to get stirred up. It's time to wake up. It's time to quit daydreaming. Of first importance. Peter says then is this, tell them the time is at hand. 
when you speak these things, tell them not to walk after their desires, but do the will of God. But yet, these, back to our text in Second Peter chapter 3, these who are mockers and scoffers when you try to warn them that we are in the last days, and yes, even the very last hour, they will say this, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 4, if you're following along. Where is the promise of His coming, is what they will say. Where is He, huh? I've been hearing this promise all of my life. Matter of fact, you religious types have been trying to scare us with this, oh, He's coming back bit, ever since the crucifixion. But you know what? They will mock and scoff and say, I don't believe it. You know why? Because ever since the fathers of old, they fell asleep. All of the things keep on going on like they always have. Since the beginning of creation, all things keep moving day after day, week after week. All is in normal gear and I am not falling for your Jesus is coming back quick routine. And I'm not scared. That's the mantra of the scoffers. Ah, but Peter says... In verse 5, this one thing they are willfully ignoring, willfully forgetting. They shut their eyes to this, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. And when God created them in Genesis chapter 1, and He says, light be and light was and there was. And then He said, the waters to divide and separate. And some went up above the atmosphere and some went into the earth. And dry land began to appear. And then the plants and then the animals and the atmosphere and the sun and the moon and the stars were hung. God said, all things have not gone on since creation the way you are talking. Because after a, few, a thousand years or more... Of that being normal, day-to-day operation. There came a time in Genesis chapter 6 when the world was nothing but evil. When all of the imaginations of man and their thoughts and what they did was nothing but wickedness and evil. And he said, I had to bring a great flood upon this earth. And I took Noah and he built this ark. And Noah was charged for 120 years to build it and to preach the gospel of repentance. And the only ones that would go aboard that ship was his family. Eight souls were saved by water. And the rest of the earth perished underneath the great flood when the floodgates of the earth opened and the windows of heaven. And for 40 days and 40 nights the rain came and everything it says in Genesis chapter 7 that had breath of life in it died and perished. So God says to the scoffers and to the mockers, this one thing you are willfully forgetting, and that is I've done it before. I kept my promise Before, when I said I would do it, and I will keep it again. You can mark it down. But then he says this, there's something else that you're forgetting. You don't understand my character and who I am. You think that I'm late. You think that I've forgotten. You think that there's some reason like that, that I am not powerful enough to destroy this earth like I promised that I would. And he goes on to say this in verse 8. A day is with the Lord as a thousand years, 
And a thousand years is as one day. And God says the point being is this. I am not slack concerning my promise. The way you count slackness or tardiness by your standards. Because as the divine God, my standards are different than yours. And instead of being a mocker and a scoffer, I am long-suffering to you all. Even though you mock and scoff at me and my word, I am waiting patiently. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that is why I have not said the word to this earth to self-destruct again. This is why the voice of the archangel and the trump of God has not sounded and the dead in Christ rise. Because I am not willing that any perish. I am long-suffering and I am waiting. And as long as there is a heart that is penitent and seeking the truth and could be one for Christ, I am going to hold off and give that person a chance. We just had a couple of baptisms. If the Lord had carried out His promise a few weeks ago, a couple of souls might not have made it. The Lord is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. And He's going to wait until, as in the days of Noah, that all of the thoughts and the wickedness of man is nothing but continually evil. And He goes on to say that there's a play on words. You Mockers willfully overlook what I've done in the past because you want to fill your desires. And while you mock, I willfully overlook you and your mocking. And I wait because my desire is that nobody perish. And it's a bold dare that you are making against me. And I love you enough to see if you will finally repent. But know this truth and know it very well. Verse 10 says this, and this is from a promise from a God who cannot lie. And he says, my day, the day of the Lord, will come. And it will come as a thief in the night. And when I give the word, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And all these things, it says, will be dissolved In the day of God. And verse 12 goes on to say. The heavens will be dissolved being on fire. And the elements will melt with a fervent heat. And all I can do is look back. And say wow. Isn't that a vivid illustration. Of language that is used there by Peter. The day of the Lord will come. And it will look like this. The heavens will pass away with a great noise a roar and it will be on fire the elements deep inside the earth will ignite at that same time and begin to burn uncontrollably with a great intense heat and these things it says will be dissolved now that word dissolved means to come unraveled to unbind something that has been held together To unloose and release it so that nothing now holds it back. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 talks about this world and it says, For by Jesus all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, whether it be visible or invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all 
things were created by him and for him. And then get this, verse 17. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. All things hold together by the power of his word that said, Be in creation, light be, light was. It is held together until I give the word to unravel it. And it's going to happen and be set in motion one day. And Peter here describes the destruction of heaven and earth in great detail. Because he knows what's going to happen. For you see, Peter was one of those disciples that was with Jesus in his final week of life. And he was there on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. When he and the other disciples asked the Lord privately... Tell us, when shall these things be? For you see, to set the stage, Jesus had just had an argument with the scribes and the Pharisees. Boy, he really got into them. And the disciples were a little bit worried and they wanted to change the subject. So as they're walking away, they start looking at the temple and going, Lord, look, look how beautiful and how great this building is. And look at all the stones, how, how huge and marvelous and sturdy this is and Jesus turned around and looked at him and said you know what there's a day coming when not one stone will be left upon another stone but they will all be taken down in the day that I come in judgment upon it and so they said tell us Lord when shall these things be what shall be the sign of thy coming and the sign of the end of the world you see there's three questions there What's going to be the sign when these things, the, the temple destroyed, not one stone left on another? And then the second question, the sign of thy coming for the saints. And then the third question, and what will be the sign for the end of the world? And Jesus answered them and said this, Let no man deceive you. <laughs> scoffers <laughs> will come. Isn't that why Peter's writing about the scoffers and the mockers who say that he's not coming? He said, they're going to come. And many will also come saying that they are the Christ, but don't believe them. Don't get deceived. There are going to be wars, rumors of wars, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. All of these things, Jesus said, are the beginning of sorrows. And Luke his version in his gospel goes on to say that there will be signs given in the sun, in the moon, and the stars. And upon the earth there will be distress. There will be tension among nations. The roaring and surging of the sea. The powers of the heaven will be shaken. And when all of these things come to pass, then Luke said, look up. Lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And Jesus told the disciples then, these things are the birth pains. These are the signs, the tremors of the beginning of the end. And this is what you look for. Wars and rumors of war and tension among nations. Yeah, I could say that we got some of that going on right now. Famine and pestilence. That word comes from pest, which is disease and plagues and insect invasions. Famines. There will be fearful sights in the heavens 
great signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the planets, and the asteroids. The seas will roar and blow. The earth will quake all over the place. The powers of heaven will be shaken. Things are going to drop to the earth from out in the heavens like a fig tree that is shaken by the wind and drops her fruit. The asteroids, cosmic debris, planets, and solar flares. Man, Jesus says, when you see these things taking place, it is beginning, it's coming. Lift up your heads, turn your eyes to me, repent of your hearts, because the day of your redemption is nigh. And those in Christ, you're getting ready to come and be with me. Lots of things to look for, isn't it? You know, Satan is also a very astute student of Scripture. He knows all of this that we just talked about and read. He's got it memorized. And you know why? Because that great day of the Lord will put him in peril also. It will spell his doom. It will be his day of judgment. And he is very interested in looking for these signs. He's motivated people and governments with knowledge and intent. To keep track of these things in a close watch. They keep it close to the vest. If they, if they told us that things are heating up. And that there are more earthquakes. And that there are more asteroids. And that there are greater solar flares happening. And lavas and volcanoes. Then you and I might begin to panic. Anarchy might break out. So they keep these things close to the vest and they're going to be the first ones to run to the mountains and say, fall upon us. But they have created several organizations that keep a close watch on these things. Jesus said what? Watch for famine and pestilence and disease. Well, we have in Atlanta, Georgia, something called the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. You see there on the watch... Not just in America, but all over the world. For disease, plagues, any outbreak that happens and threatens a public health. Man, they are watchers all over the world for famine and pestilence. And they send teams in suits to any of these places where like in Africa that Ebola is breaking out. Or just recently they even had the Legionnaire's disease break out right there in Georgia at one of the hotels again. So they are watching for the first set of things that Jesus talked about. And then he said there's going to be earthquakes in various places. Well, we've got something called the USGS, the United States Geological Survey. They have mapped the world with seismographs that detect the shaking and quaking of the earth. They are monitoring it every moment. Worldwide, they're keeping track. Do you know that? We're going to talk more on that next week. I'm going to give you some stats that are amazing. That It's going to shake you up. It's going to make you tremble when you see what's been happening. And Jesus said there will be signs in the heavens with the sun and the moon and the stars. So we have organizations like NASA and NOAA. That's N-O-A-A. That they keep track of the weather. And NASA is not just a rocket to the moon department. You can go to their website and if you move around and you explore it they're constantly monitoring everything to do with solar weather patterns the solar winds the wind speed the north and the south poles of the earth they monitor our magnetosphere and the wind speed 
the cosmic debris, asteroids, fireballs that enters the Earth's atmosphere. Did you know that they constantly monitor and keep track of those things? Well, they do, but they don't let you and I know of it, really. These are the things that Jesus said to look for and to tell you when the beginning of the end is going to be close. And the devil knows what it's written. And he's got the world elite to know what it is. And while we go about our own way saying, where is the promise of his coming? Because they think that all is safety. All is peace. And Jesus warned and the Bible warns of those who say that everything is peace and everything is safe to watch. Because it will come quickly like a thief in the night upon them. One day... The Lamb is going to begin to open the seals in Revelation chapter 6. Yeah, move on there with me if you want to. Because that's going to be after the beginning of the end. Whenever he comes and takes his church, the bride, out of here. Those that are left are going to begin to see the tribulation and the wrath of God and the opening of these things. And in chapter 6 of Revelation, it says the first seal opens with great noise, thunder, and one of the beasts told John, come and see. And a white horse appeared, and upon the horse set him who had a bow and a crown was given him to go forth, conquering and to conquer. And then the second seal was broken, and a red horse came onto the scene it breaks forth in a stride and it says in the word of God that power was given to it by God to take peace from the earth to kill one another with the great sword that was given to him I don't know about you but that sounds to me like wars and rumors of wars and kingdom versus kingdom and peace and safety being taken away that Jesus warned us to be on the lookout for then the third seal will be broken come and see the angel said and now a black horse rides forth and the voice that John heard from the rider of the black horse was this a measure of wheat for a penny three measures of barley for a penny folks that's talking about famine the other thing that Jesus said a penny at this time was a day's wage so guess what, whenever it says that there's a measure of flour for a penny or three measures of barley for a penny, what's that saying is, is you will work all day long and everything that you toil and wage for, there will be such a famine upon the earth and bread will be so scarce that your day's wage will go for just enough flour to feed one mouth. That don't go very far if you've got a family, does it? So if you've got a family, it says three measures of barley. Now, barley is coarse. It's not what you really want to eat. It's not something that's a delicacy. But he says, if you're hungry, anything will do to put in your belly and make it feel full so you can feed three mouths for one day with that one day's wage. Let me ask you something. There's probably more than three mouths in your family, some of you. But not only that, you got a house payment, a car payment, electric bill, a water payment. You've got all of these things going on. But your entire day's wage will go to feed one mouth. That's when the rider of the black horse, the third seal, famine sets his way in. Then, verse 7 
of Revelation chapter 6, the fourth seal is broken. And a pale horse sprints out. And it says, the name of he that sat on the horse is death. And hell follows close with him. So a fourth part of the earth is now killed by wars and famines and the pestilence. And it says, this is the result of the first three horses that we have just been seen released and death and hell is what the world is beginning to experience. And then it says, what about us? What about the saints? It says this, when the fifth seal is open, John saw an altar and underneath the altar he saw people there who were in white robes. They were slain because they believed in the word of God and they had held true to his word even in these wars and these famines. And they cried with a loud voice, How long? How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you wait to avenge our blood upon the scoffers and the wicked who have taken over the world? And the Lord gives them their white robes, every one of them. And He says, I'm giving you a reward. Your reward is coming. There's crown. There's some other things. Be comforted right now for yet a little while. Why, Lord? Why are you waiting? Why are you holding back in all of this famine and pestilence and death and hail? He says this, be comforted for a while because more of your brethren are yet to be killed and to be glorified before this thing is over. You know what that means? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as you count slackness, but the Lord is long-suffering and He is waiting that none should perish. He says, take heed, I know you've been hurting, I know things are bad, but that's the point. Things are bad because I know how bad hell is. And I don't want anyone to be lost for eternity. And so this famine, this pestilence, this death that you see upon the earth right now is designed to make men's hearts repent. To see and know the truth that the day is coming. And any that will turn to me is worth it. And that is why he says, this is why I wait upon you. Take your robe and rest for a moment. Because there are more of your brethren coming. So then with that, John saw a sixth seal. And lo, there was a great earthquake. Isn't that the next thing Jesus said to be looking for? A great earthquake came. This, folks, is the beginning. And the earth quaked and shook. And Isaiah 24 says this. I want you to mark this down. And I want you to go there and read it. Isaiah 24 says this. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty. He makes it a waste. The Lord will turn it upside down we're going to talk more on that next week that's a preview of coming attractions it's going to be turned upside down and the inhabitants tossed and scattered everywhere the land will be utterly emptied and spoiled the lord has spoken and it is true and the false teachers around about you have dealt treacherously verse 16 you had better fear you should begin to fear the pit and the snare that is coming upon thee, O inhabitants of the earth who mock. 
For you will begin to flee from the noise of the pit. And the destroyer that climbs up out of the dark pit shall be taken also. And I will open up the windows on high. I will open them up. And next week we're going to see part of that again. And the foundations of the earth will shake and quake. And the earth will be broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. There's that same word Peter used. Isaiah used it several hundred years before. The earth is clean dissolved. And the crust of the earth is moved exceedingly. Why? Earthquakes and volcanoes. Just what the Lord was talking about. And we're going to see those next week. And the earth, it says, look at verse 20 of Isaiah 24. The earth will reel to and fro like a drunkard. And it will be removed like a cottage. And the transgression shall fall upon it never to rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones. That's the demons that are on high and the kings of the earth that are upon the earth. The devil and all of his disciples will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit. And they shall be shut up in the prison. The moon shall be confounded. The sun ashamed. And then it says this, but the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the army. He shall reign in Mount Zion and Jerusalem before the ancients in glory. Wow. You don't want to miss next week. We should be able to conclude this great and coming day of the Lord. And it's going to be awesome. That was Isaiah chapter 24, folks, beginning in about verse 15. You need to read that rest of the chapter. It says what we just quoted there. It's going to be some kind of an awesome time. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be scorching heat from the sun and asteroids. Solar winds. Magnetosphere. Pole shift and changes. Jesus said all of these are going to take place. But next week we will talk more. But right now as the worship team returned. And Peter's telling us of the Lord's return. The end of the world as we know it. These are all promises written by the holy prophets and the apostles. And they are true and they will come to pass. So don't be a fool. Don't be deceived. Don't listen to those who try to tell you that as everything is okay, it's peace and safety is the word of the day. And everything's going to continue just like it has from the beginning. And Peter is telling you and I, don't be blind. Don't willfully forget what the scriptures really teach and what truth is. God is only waiting because of grace that none should perish. But there's a promise, folks. And as the keeper of the door, I need to let you know that that day will come as a thief in the night. The heavens and the earth will pass away with a great noise and a fervent heat. Peter says this in verse 11, and I want to close with this, and I want you to meditate upon this the rest of the week until you look next week at the rest of the story. Verse 11, Seeing then that all of these things that we've just been talking about will happen, and this earth and the heavens will be dissolved, 
and destroyed and unraveled, Peter says this, What manner of person ought you to be then? Ought we to be? Ought I to be? In all holy living and godliness before God and man. Wherefore, beloved, Peter continues, and that's the word we started with, wasn't it? Wherefore, beloved, seeing that we know these things and we look for such things to happen, he says, be diligent that you may be found. Now get this. What manner of person ought you to be knowing all of this so that you will be diligent in your walk of life that you may be found of Him in peace without a spot or blameless in your walk of life. And he says, know this, the patience and long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. That's why He waits. It is salvation. And it's my promise that I am not slack, but I am graceful. But the promise is that day will come when I no longer count slackness, and now it's judgment. If you have not already made the decision for Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, that Jesus was born of the Virgin, that He lived a blameless life and He went to the cross as the Lamb of God that take away the sin of the world. And the long-suffering of God is waiting until this day for you to be able to make that decision for yourself before it's too late. Won't you do it today? Today is the salvation that you and God have been waiting on. He gave His only Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said this, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Come, won't you come and make that great decision of faith today before the thief and destruction comes upon us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. It is holy and divine and it is truth. And it represents your character. And your character says, I am a gracious and I am a forgiving God. But I do keep my promises. And I have made promises of what is going to happen and take place. And what will happen to those who have not named my son as their savior. And as the Lord of their life and have committed their life to me. So Father, we pray that as we have heard this and studied your word that we will be convicted in heart and we will be moved to follow you. If we have not named your son and been baptized into Christ through faith, then we pray that that will happen now, that we will be motivated for that's why this is written, to motivate, to stir us up. And Father, for those of us who have made that commitment We're baptized into Christ, but yet we've kind of scoffed a little bit ourselves and figured your coming is not soon. And we haven't been walking in your ways. We pray, Father, that we will repent of that and we will look back at what you just said in your word. That seeing that all of these things shall come about, then what manner of person ought you to be in all 
holiness and your walk be blameless. So, Father, I pray that you would strengthen us and help us to be what you want us to be. And whatever it is, today is the day of salvation, Father, and open up the hearts. Let the Spirit move through here and those who hear so that they will understand the urgency and that they will be motivated to act. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' dear name. Amen.